So last week, we, we began a new series on looking at the Apostles' Creed. And before, before we got into looking at that first few words of, uh, I believe in God the Father Almighty, we spent some time looking at what actually is a creed, why is it important, and why are these words which we profess, these, these ancient words which sum up Scripture, to sum up the story of Scripture, why are they important to us? Why should they be important to us? See, everyone who professes faith through the words of the Apostles' Creed, as we have already this morning, has got to accept and adhere to these words. Because it's, it's possible to believe more than is there, but it isn't possible to believe less than what we say in the Apostles' Creed. And today we're moving into the, the second part of what many would call the, the opening clause of the Apostles' Creed. And we're looking at God as maker of heaven and earth. Like I said, it's, if we don't believe, or if, if anyone isn't believing into the fact that God is creator, maker of heaven and earth, then there's a massive disconnect with everything else that comes after that in the creed. Because you can't think anything less than what is in there. And these words, these words, they, they, echo, um, they echo what we find in Scripture in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, and, and, the, and the story of creation. And I think for, for any Christian to state belief in God is to state belief in the Creator is to state belief in the fact that everything we see can trace its being back all the way to God. And so I just want to read opening few verses of Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was formless, void, and darkness covered the face of the deep while a wind from God swept over the faces of the water. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was morning, and there was evening, the first day. And if we read on in Genesis we get to, to have a, a, a kind of a, a description of the next five days of creation. God, he separates the waters from the heaven with the waters that are, uh, depending on your translation, could say that are below the sky or, or some say below the dome. And then he goes on to separate the waters that are below the dome, that aren't in the sky, to create space for land. And then after he's got the land, he creates vegetation. He adds light in the sky, the stars, the moon, the sun. And then he creates creatures, culminating in human beings. And then he takes a well-deserved rest on the seventh day. And each day of creation has a couple of things in common. 
okay? Every time something's been created, God says, it's good. But before he says it's good, he creates it. And how does he create it? He creates it by speaking it into existence. He speaks it into existence. That account of the first day that I read, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Didn't have to do anything other than just speak it out, and it's there. See, before this moment, there was nothing. And it's fundamental that we believe the fact that there was nothing before God spoke something into be. Remember, when we say, I believe, we're not talking about a present only, about now. We're talking about believing into about choosing to accept the truth that God is revealing about himself so we can enter into relationship with him, one which is based on truth and unity. And so here we've got these four or five words, God created heaven and earth. And in saying that he is the creator or or the maker of heaven and earth, We're declaring further truths about God. Not just that he is Father Almighty, like we looked at last week, but further truths. Truths that can sometimes be overlooked or or not really identified from just simply um, stating that he is the creator of the earth and the heaven. See, in saying that God is creator, then we're actually saying that he's eternal. We're saying he's eternal because if God existed prior to creation, he has to be eternal. We're also stating that if God created the heavens and the earth, then he isn't bound by them because he created them. And if, and if he's created them and he's not bound by them, therefore he's infinite. And then, and then we're saying... That if God is creator, he's independent. He's not reliant on anything. Everything is reliant on him. And many of you will have heard me say numerous times since since I arrived that scripture is inerrant. That there is no error in these pages. They are God's words for God's people. And so we've got to get it. We've got to get it. Not only what some people find it easy to to get the truth and the the no errors of Scripture when it comes to uh, Jesus having died and rose again. Some people even struggle with that. But people find that a lot easier than they do to come to the creation story and believe that that's without error. But it is, because Scripture has no error in it. And if we start to think that any part of Scripture has an error in it, then we get to throw all of it out. Because you can't have it both ways. If we fail to grasp that these opening pages of Scripture, they affirm our faith. We affirm our faith in the Apostles' Creed, saying... God is maker of heaven and earth. Genesis 1 tells us how that happened. 
Genesis 1 tells us that God is the creator. And if we, if we don't get that, if we, if we try to mix that up in our heads somehow, then we take a wrong turn at the very beginning of our journey. It's, we were talking about something that has sheer, enormous consequences. Enormous. And, and the enormity of Genesis. Yeah? How can anybody read those pages and not just be taken in by the enormous power of God? That power to just speak things into being. And as I was thinking on that this week, I was reminded of something that was shared with me when I was a bit younger, of something that happened in 1968, so some years before I was born, um, at Christmas time. I'm talking about the Apollo 8 space mission. Yeah, you've got uh, Bill Anders, Jim Lovell, and Frank Borman. And they're on a spacecraft going, orbiting the moon. Okay? Not only were they lucky enough to actually get to see Earth from space, they were the first people to see a lunar sunrise and a lunar Earthrise. And if you look at the, some of the pictures, you Google them, um, some of the pictures that were taken of the Earthrise are absolutely breathtaking. And they just show this enormity of God, this power that he has to create. And those three guys, as they're seeing the lunar sunrise, as that image is being broadcast to the world, pictures are going back, grainy black and white pictures that don't do justice to the photographs that you can see now. Or people listening on the wireless and just hearing what's going on, they had a message for the world. And their message was Genesis chapter 1. That's what they read in that moment. And they all took a different turn to take a piece. But sadly, people don't see it. Or they choose not to see it. And that can be people on any spectrum, from the founder of the American atheist who tried to sue the government and, and the, the, the team for reading scripture on a broadcast, uh, which was thrown out by every court that it ever went to. But you get people today who try to use worldly powers and courts to squash the voice of God. They try to squash the voice of God, the voice that he has placed in you to share the message of the gospel. And the worldly powers try to squash it. We heard a bit about the Gideons this morning already. I remember when I was 11 years old, the Gideons came into my school and handed me a Bible. I know they're not allowed to do that in America, but they can still go into the schools and put the Bibles on the table for any student to pick up that chooses to. We've got to live within some parameters, yes, but we cannot let worldly powers completely squash the voice of God. It's key. It's absolute key 
that we decide to answer the question of the origin of life in the right way. Because how we, how we answer that question, it will, it will show how we value life. It will show how we, um, how we see the purpose of life. And, and, and ultimately, it will show how we feel um, an obligation to each other and then to God. That's important to get. How we choose to see the origin of life will dictate pretty much everything we do in life. Because if we allow the, the, this secular views, of which there are many, uh, their views of creation come in and, and take our mind off or, or away from what the biblical view of creation is, then we start to walk away from the truth. And if we start to walk away from the truth there at the beginning, where are we going to end up? See, creation is only the beginning. It's only the beginning. It's part of a much bigger picture, but part of a much larger story. Uh, if you will, if it was a book, it would have four chapters. And in those four chapters, it would start with creation. Chapter two would be all about the fall. Chapter three would be all about redemption. And chapter four would be all about new creation. And we've got to realize where we are on that journey and how all four chapters of the grand story stick together and how they complement each other. Creation's only that first chapter. And in all of these different eras of, of time, of life, and creation's that beginning which we reference in the creed here, each of the others is referenced in the creed as well, if we follow it and we look at it as a summing up of the story of Scripture. So I'm not going to talk to them all, because we'll pick them up later in the series. But we've got to get this right about the starting place, because we don't want to go in a dangerous direction. We've got to get that place to start. And I remember as a, I guess I was 11 or 12, and I was walking around the town that I lived in at the time, and this is pre-GPS, okay? So it wasn't really in the cars. You definitely didn't have a watch or a phone that helped you get to where you wanted to go. And so I had to stop an older couple to ask them if they knew how to get to the place that I was supposed to be. Because I was not where I was supposed to be. And their answer, I still remember it, and it was, a, it was, a, it was an answer that many older people would give when you stopped to ask for directions. Oh, well, if I wanted to go there, I wouldn't start from here. And that's really helpful, isn't it? <laughs> well, okay, tell me where you'd start from and get me to that point then, please, right? But that's, that's where we are right now where we're looking at creation, okay? If we want to get to see new creation, we've got to go through each chapter, but we've got to start at creation, at the beginning of time, when God spoke those words, let there be That's the only way we get to the end of the story if we start in the right place at the beginning. To live into it, to believe into it. God is creator, okay? 
And by that, we're saying no one, no thing is greater than he is. Because if we have a different view, if we take on different aspects of different views, away from that, we're not saying God is God. We're actually, we're actually getting to a point where we are arguing the existence of not being a God. We're disassociating God with the world. We're disassociating God from ourselves. See, without God as the starting point, then humanity doesn't have a purpose. And the universe is an accident. And we can't let that happen. We can't let that happen in ourselves, in our minds, and we've got to strive and fight against all that the world is trying to do to make that not worth listening to. God is the reason for existence. He spoke it into life. He spoke us into life. The seeds that we see and get to explore, the, the, the heavens that we get to look upon, and all the marvels of the, as the planets align and the stars come out at night. And although I didn't get to see it because I'm not a super early bird, just the last few days, is it, a couple of the planets look like they're actually going to hit each other in the sky. They're still way away from each other, but they look like they're going to hit each other. And for the next morning or two, I think you can just about see as they start to then look like they're further apart from each other. But just that just shows this enormity of God in creation and the beauty that what he's putting before us we don't want to reject God. But if we start to question creation, then we start to almost put an argument to disprove God. Those of you who joined through the, the Lenten season with us, when we were looking at standing in different aspects of our faith, well, we looked at standing in truth. And I said, you can't stand in truth if you don't know the truth. And here's a great example of having to know the truth so we can stand in the truth. And what is the truth? The truth is Jesus. He is the way, the life, and the truth. Jesus is the Word made flesh. The Word made flesh is truth. The written Word that he's based on is also made truth. We have got to accept it, that it has no errors. Jesus, the Word made flesh, had no errors. The word that we have left has no errors. And I, I, I kind of laugh a little bit when I hear people uh, describe themselves as Bible-believing Christians. Because you can't be a Christian if you don't believe the Bible. So what's, what's that even mean? Or this new one that I'm starting to hear in some, some of the songs that are coming out and a few people I've been meeting with lately. It's this red-letter Christian. I'm like, if you've got a Bible that's kind of a newer print, Jesus' words are in red and everything else is in black. I don't give two hoots what color your letters are in. 
They're all truth. They all matter. So don't fall into some of this silliness. Either believe scripture or don't. End of. There's no, there's no kind of gray area to mess about with there. God's word for you is God's word for you. Hold it, read it, digest it. Use it. And God's word says about creation vitally important things. Not just in Genesis 1, which we've looked at a little bit already, but in other areas as well. I'll share a few with you. Kind of a whistle-stop tour. There's many more. Um, God refers to his act in creation when he gives the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20. Hezekiah, when he's praying to God in, in, in 2 Kings chapter 19, says, O Lord, the God of Israel, who are enthroned above the cherubim. You are God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you made heaven and earth. And that prayer is almost verbatim recorded from the same, uh, of the same action uh, when, it's, when it's referenced in Isaiah 37. And similar words are spoken by Huram in, in 2 Chronicles or Ezra in Nehemiah 6. You are God and you created the heaven and the earth. And Jeremiah, he states in, in uh, chapter 37, uh, verse 17, that nothing is too hard for God. Nothing is too hard for God because it was him indeed who made heaven and earth. I don't think there could be anything harder, could there? And yet there's God just speaking things into being. Nothing is too hard for him. And the Psalms are full of praise to the creator. Psalm 115, verse 15. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. May you be blessed. And then my favorite creation psalm, Psalm 8. I'm just going to read that to you from verse 3. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that, they, that you are mindful of them? Mortals that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You have given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have put things under their feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the sky, and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. See, to, to state belief in God as creator of heaven and, and, and earth, it's essential for us as Christians. If we don't have the belief that he created earth and heaven, we don't have belief in God. And the Apostles' Creed, as I, as I kind of said last week, and I'll remind us, it establishes this framework for our beliefs. It, it sets us on that right path. It gives us the, kind of the basics and the destination which we're headed for. And it gives us the stepping stones to get there. You see, Psalm 19, verse 1, it, 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 it tells us that the heaven and the earth Declare God's glory. 
You'll see it in a sunrise. You see it in a sunset. Maybe you see it in the face of a loved one. But our job as part of creation is to declare his glory because nothing is done by him that shouldn't reflect glory back to him. And in order to give him glory, we've got to acknowledge that awesome power that he had beginning with creation. We need to live into those words. We need to... We need to live into those words. We profess them from the creed, and the creed's lifting them straight out of Scripture and summarizing them for us to step into and to believe. And Martin Luther, as he wrote about this, this first article of creed, it's a great example of something for us to get alongside and believe with him. And he just says, I believe that God has made me and all creatures. That he has given me my body and soul, my eyes and ears, all of my members, my reason and my senses. And still takes care of them. He also gives me clothing and shoes, food and drink, house and home, wife and children, land, animals and all I have. He richly and daily provides me with all I need to support the body and life that I have. He defends me against all danger, and he guards and protects me against all evil. And all this, he does only as our fatherly, divine goodness, mercy. And it's all given us without any merit or worthiness that we hold. And in that, he says, it is my duty to thank and praise and serve and obey him. And I ask, is that, are you willing to make that your duty? In professing faith in God, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and all that that means that we've talked about in the last two weeks, Are you willing to stand up and say, it is my duty to thank and praise and serve and obey him? And then in true Luther fashion, he ends up with saying, this is most certainly true. Can you say, this is most certainly true? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Let's pray. Father, we, we come and we want to give thanks. We want to give praise. We want to be obedient and we want to serve. But sometimes fear gets a hold of us or, or the ways of the world try to, to interfere and, and, and mess with our minds so, Lord, we just pray for protection over our minds. We pray for that, that, that helmet of salvation. Lord, we, we know, we know in our, in our deep, deep, deep inside, 
that you are the creator. And yet we hear constantly attack to that truth. Lord, help prepare us to stand on truth and to be able to, where needed, speak your words into all situations that come and contradict your word. We give you thanks that as as you were there, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at creation, speaking out those words, uh, as as Graham Kendrick in his song uh, says, Jesus just throwing stars into space. We give you thanks for that creation that we see, that we get to grow into and love, and that you knew us before we came, that you knew us before we were even in our mother's womb, and now you know us better than anybody else ever will. And we turn to you and we say, we make it our duty to worship and to praise, to serve and to obey. In Jesus' name, amen.